as Sean shares about Haiti, uh, we are truly a part of a global mission. Um, we try to emphasize that uh, time after time after time, and I hope that you get that. Uh, when, when God looks at our world, um, the first thing he sees is not our nationality, uh, it's not our ethnicity, it's not the color of our skin. Uh, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, and that means that whether we reside in the United States of America, Haiti, uh, Bangladesh, uh, somewhere across the world, throughout the world, that we have deep value and equal value in the eyes of our God. And so one of the things that I love about Lebanon Christian Church is that we have a rich history of supporting God's mission, both here at Lebanon Christian Church, there throughout our community and our nation and everywhere throughout our world. We truly try to partner with what God has been doing since the beginning. Uh, after the fall, he calls Abraham. He wants to bless the world through Abraham. And that ultimately comes through Jesus. And then as his spirit lives in us through us, that God is bringing the nations back to himself through us and through our lives and through our witness and through our faithfulness. He uses us. And I love that Lebanon Christian Church partners with so many uh, partners globally, again, here, there, and everywhere, to help that happen. And as Sean has already articulated, one of those partners is Haitian Christian Outreach. Um, if you know much about the history of Haiti, um, if you don't, I'd encourage you to do some research. There's all kinds of really good YouTube videos that tell you the history of, of Haiti. They're, 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 they're a nation that has a really challenging and difficult history. Uh, they've been oppressed, they've been enslaved, they've had corruption, and beyond all the, the different political things that have happened there, uh, we, we've just seen, even in my lifetime, a number of natural disasters just completely afflict uh, that, that nation, the western side of that island. Um, earthquakes, hurricanes, tropical storms, and the list just goes on and on. And I know that oftentimes we'll see things around the world and we'll think, man, they have it hard. I'm telling you, uh, I've been in different third world countries and there are a few places that have it harder than Haiti. It is just a difficult place. And so when you see something in the news this week that once again, another, another significant challenge is affecting them, it should cause our hearts to kind of grieve with them and pray for them. It also helps us see how important a strategic partner like for us, Haitian Christian Outreach is, but there are other great works there. Sean referenced, there's a, a couple in our church that helps direct the organization, Northwest Haiti Christian Mission, a separate organization, um, but, but we, we, it's important to partner with them. One of the things I love about Haitian Christian Outreach that we've supported for several years is that in a country that endures so, so much um, tumultuous challenges, uh, they're, 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 it's hard for organizations to serve their long-term. It's not long before um, an organization leaves or stops or has to board up their walls. And so Haitian Christian Outreach was founded by Roro and Aline Ustash, and it was founded in 1985 uh, with this noble mission and vision to do something in Haiti that would last. Uh, as native Haitians, they'd seen organizations come and go, and they said, we want to be different. We want to do something in Haiti that will last. And that takes on a couple characteristics for Roro and Aline uh, and, and HCO. On one hand, it's the very strategic, intentional, like we want this ministry to last more than 10 years, more than 20 years, more than 30 years, which obviously beginning in 1985 it has. They want the ministry of Haitian Christian outreach to uh, just 
continue on into the future. They want to do something that lasts in that way, and they have. What started with a single church plant has grown into multiple church plants, which has grown into multiple schools that they offer. Education is a huge thing in Haiti, and, and so they have these Christian schools where they educate the Haitians, and now they even have this hospital that's been doing tremendous work in Peridot, where kind of the home base of HCO is, and so they're trying to do something that will last but all that is with a more significant aim in mind. It's not just that the physical ministry of Haitian Christian outreach would last. It's that there would be an eternal impact, that type of lasting impact, that people's lives would be transformed. The people of, beautiful, uh, of Haiti are beautiful just like the people all around the world. Uh, when you get to travel and you get to see people in other countries, other ethnicities, other nations, you see there's just such beauty in the human race, and the Haitian people are no different, and we want to see their lives transformed uh, by the good news of who Jesus is. And so that's what Roro and Alina are all about, is doing something that will last, both with the organization and even more so for eternity. Why do I share that? Because I think it's a great lead-in to where we're headed as we wrap up our series on hospitality. There's something about that idea of doing something that will last I think that resonates, or at least once resonated, with many of our human hearts. Don't you want to have a lasting impact on this world? Don't you want to be remembered beyond a tombstone or a funeral service or memorial service? Don't you want to do something that will last? Or did you once want to do something that will last? What is it? What do you want to do that will last beyond your lifetime. Uh, we have a word we use when we talk about something that will last. Uh, it's an L word, and I have to tell you, because how I'm wired and because I like cartoons, that I can't think of the L word without thinking of Sid the Sloth from Ice Age. And, and Manny, who's a mammoth in that cartoon, asked Sid about the L word, and he says, leprosy. No, no, that's not it, Sid. Lice. No, that's not it, Sid. And the word that Manny was looking for was love, uh, the word we're looking for is legacy. And so when we talk about something that will last, we talk about a legacy, not leprosy or lice, thankfully. Uh, we're talking about a legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? What legacy do you want to live? What do you want to do that will last? Do you want to make a lasting impact on your children? Do you want to make a lasting impact on your grandchildren? Do you want to make a lasting impact on your community? Do you want to make a lasting impact on your corporation or the company that you started or that you work for? Do you want to make a lasting impact in your school? Do you want to make a lasting impact on, on your teammates? What kind of lasting impact do you want to make in this world? And if you're a disciple of Jesus, we have to ask the second question that Roro and Aline also ask, and that's what type of eternal impact do you want to make? How do you want to see the world transformed for the goodness of God, for the glory of God, for King Jesus with your life? And maybe some of those things are the same. Maybe the legacy you're leaving with your children, with your community, with your corporation, with your teammates is all affected by that. But maybe it's something different. What do you want to do that will have an eternal impact? What do you want to do that will last? And maybe that leads to a second question, and that's like, how do I know if what I'm doing is making an eternal impact? How do I know if what I'm doing is making a lasting impact on this world for the glory of God and for the glory of King Jesus? And that's a great question to ask. What I love about the beauty of God's word, there are several places where he shows us, if you, if you do this, if you live this way, you make an impact that lasts far beyond your life and that will last for eternity. And one of those is practicing the discipline of hospitality. 
when we practice the spiritual discipline of hospitality, we're gonna see today and discover today that it has an eternal impact. It has a lasting impact on people. Uh, we, 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 we launched in in early June into this kind of focus up through, uh, up until Christmas, where we're gonna be looking at individual spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines, just to remind you, are those practices, those spiritual practices, those intentional actions that we engage in as a response, not to earn, but as a response to who God is and what he's done for us to help cultivate the life that he wants for us in us, the life that looks like Jesus. And one of those is hospitality, which we've already shared in this series. We're not gonna belabor it. Is its most simple form, friendship to strangers. And when you look at the spiritual discipline of hospitality in scripture, the primary focus, the specific focus of that friendship to strangers is among the people of God. It doesn't mean that people that aren't disciples of Jesus shouldn't be loved and cared for. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty if they don't know Jesus. All that's taken care of in other Bible passages. But specifically, the spiritual discipline of hospitality is about friendship to strangers, those within the body of Christ, those within the church that we don't know or we don't know well. And so how do we show that friendship to strangers? We've been exploring that. We've seen how Jesus modeled it. We've seen how it brings unity. We, we saw a couple of weeks ago, before we took a break for the 4th of July, that the spiritual discipline of hospitality has always been used by God to accomplish his mission. And, and what I want you to see as we wrap this up today is that the spiritual discipline of hospitality makes a true eternal impact. And I think it'll be compelling for you and maybe even awe-inspiring as it is for me. So if you have your Bibles, let's let God tell us this himself. It's in Hebrews chapter 13. Maybe a passage that you've been curious about before. Uh, hopefully it's something that will, again, inspire you. As you find Hebrews 13, uh, I wanna give you a bit of a background. Um, I've heard some of you ask, Craig, why do you give us so much background when we read from the Bible? And here's the reason. Uh, if you've gone to a play, if you've gone to a musical, if you've been to a Broadway production, a big part of that play, that musical, that production are, is, is the backdrop. It's, it's what's happening on stage. It's the props. It's the, the furniture. It's the decorations. Maybe that's digital. Maybe that's physical. But when you see that backdrop, it helps you bring what we call context to or better understand what's being spoken and said from stage. You can get an idea of time period. You can get an idea of the significance of something. Well, in the same way, when we look at what has happening when these words were written and the situations surrounding uh, the biblical text, it helps us best understand what the Bible meant so we can understand what the Bible means for us. So that's why I give the backdrop. Think of it as placing props on the stage and the backdrop behind so you understand what's happening. And so here's the, uh, the backdrop or setting the stage for Hebrews 13. Uh, the letter to the Hebrews kind of says it all. The, he the Hebrew letter was written to people with a Hebrew heritage. So these are Jewish Christians. These are people who have converted from Judaism to Christianity. And with that, that means that they have this rich history that's already connected to God's work through guys like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. Unlike what we would call Gentile Christians who didn't have that history, they had worshiped other gods like Artemis or Aphrodite, and, and they're coming into Christianity differently. So the Jewish Christians kind of had this backdrop of history. Well, with that came some persecution. 
One, because just being religious for anything other than what was popular in your area in the Roman Empire brought persecution if it was Christianity or Judaism or whatever. There's persecution from governing authorities. But beyond that, if you're a Jewish Christian, then you have the persecution from like, your ancestors, your, like, your people who have the same heritage as you, and you're leaving their faith. You're leaving that thing that they identify with. And so there's that persecution. So so that's all happening in the letter to the Hebrews, and it's happening to a point that he's addressing that that some people are thinking about rejecting their faith. Like following Jesus is just hard, and people are like, you know what, I may may just get out of this altogether. And so the the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, which you don't know if it's a guy or it's a a woman, um, they, they paint this beautiful picture of the supremacy of Jesus and just how incredible he is, and oftentimes link back to important parts of Jewish history all in hopes that as the people see how great God is and they're challenged in their faith, how great Jesus is, that they'll be compelled to stick with him and stay with him. I think that that backdrop's super important because I think about our world and how it's getting harder and harder to honor God and obey his word and follow him. There's all kinds of pressure about what to believe and what to discard from his truth. And we probably need to be reminded of the supremacy of who Jesus is and be challenged to dial in and double down and go all in and follow him and honor him. And so when we get to the end of the Hebrew letter, chapter 13, there are these kind of closing encouragements. Um, The NIV subtitles it exhortations, like a strong challenge and encouragement for people. And, And here's what we read in the first two verses. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I know the most fascinating part of all of that is showing hospitality to angels without knowing it, and I promise we're gonna get there. So if you wanna know how to dine with an angel, we're gonna get there, okay? Let's start with the first few words, because those are super important to understanding all of this. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. If you were to most directly translate those words, it would be continue on in brotherly love. And everything flows from that. In the Hebrew letter, several times, the audience is referred to as brothers and sisters. It's not as common in our day as it once was, but there was a time when people referred to other followers of Jesus as their brother, and as their sister. In fact, there are still some church traditions, again, it's not very common, where you're referred to as brother so-and-so, brother Craig, or sister Audrey, or whatever it is. Uh, And I think if we're honest, if you're my generation or younger, that seems a little corny to you. But what it does do is allow us to see that there should be a deep experience of a familial bond within and among God's people. And I think we've lost that. We have prioritized and prized an individualized faith over a faith experienced among people within a community. Even to the point that sometimes when we uh, see people become followers of Jesus, we even add to Peter's confession that we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. Yes, he is your Lord and Savior, but we emphasize the personal so much so that do we forget the bond? Is it to the exclusion of understanding that if you're a disciple of Jesus in this room, you truly are family with the people sitting around you. How do we love family? 
Okay, how do we love good family, all right? That could be a dangerous question. There are some family that were like, uh-uh, not going there. But how do you love good family? How do you treat people in family when you treat them well? What kind of generosity do you extend? What, what, what type of, of sacrifice are you willing to make? What type of listening do you do? How are you willing to be available to them? And how often do we do that for other disciples of Jesus? Is your love for another disciple of Jesus the same as your love for your family? That's a challenging question, isn't it? And yet, again and again and again, disciples of Jesus who are part of the family of God are called to love each other like brothers and sisters. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. What would change in your relationships within the church uh, with disciples that you don't yet know very well if you chose to love them as family? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, here's a way you can do that. Verse two, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. I really like how the writer says, don't forget because I think the writer understands something about us as human beings living in our world. We can get distracted pretty easy, can't we? Why else would the writer say, don't forget, unless the author had already seen a tendency among followers of Jesus to forget, all right? Hey, guys, remember, maybe we're missing out on this, remember that we're supposed to show hospitality to strangers. And again, strangers here means first and foremost, most specifically, disciples of Jesus who you don't yet know or you don't know well. How do we treat them like family? How do we love them as brothers and sisters? I, we had a great experience. I shared um, several weeks ago when we first got back from Hawaii about how engaging of a time it was. Uh, but one experience I didn't share about and I wanna share about now is how we were treated like family, even from some disciples of Jesus that we didn't know. So we flew into the airport in, in Maui and we're waiting and there's this huge line, Uber and, and Lyft, they're not really quite going strong yet or they weren't at that point when we arrived at late May. And so everybody was waiting on a taxi. And so we're out in the hot sun and the, the lady organizing all the taxis was saying, hey, listen, it's gonna be probably an hour you're gonna be out here. It's gonna take you a while to get where you're going. We're like, okay, no big deal. I mean, we're in Hawaii, we'll wait an hour, right? Uh, and so she's going down the line asking where we're going and we tell her the resort we're headed to and she says, hold on, I've got someone at the very front of the line that's going to that same resort. Let me see if they're okay with you riding with them. Now keep in mind, here we are in Hawaii, it's just been pretty strict with COVID and so we would not have been hurt or anything if this other couple had said, listen, we just wanna cab by ourselves. I mean, that was kind of the COVID thing to do. But the lady comes back, she says, oh yeah, they'd be happy to share a taxi with you. And so sure enough, the next taxi comes and they call the person's name and I, I don't know who they are. And so we get into the cab. They take the back seats in the minivan traveling through Hawaii and give us the middle seats. And then they go on to engage in a super personal conversation. We find out we're going to the same resort. We're part of the same conference, which means we're followers of Jesus. And we just have the most loving conversation and they are so welcoming it turns out as the end of our trip comes that they are world-renowned recording artists in Christian worship. And I didn't know them. Um, I, do, I mean, I knew the name. I didn't recognize her because she didn't look like the album cover I'd seen, right? Um, but they didn't know us from anybody. And they just treated us like family. They showed hospitality 
to strangers. And you know how life-giving that was? Like, like, what would happen if we as people said, listen, we as disciples said, I'm willing to love other disciples as I would my own brother, my own sister, my own mother, my own father, my own grandmother, my own child, my own son, my own daughter. What would change for us? We would make an eternal impact. That's what would change. You can go back to the previous three weeks of this series. You can listen to all the other suggestions related to hospitality. But I want to dial in on is the most interesting part, I think, for us of chapter 13, verse 2. We should not forget to show hospitality to strangers, to, to show this love to the family of God. Because by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Now, now probably what's going through the, the hearers of this for the first time is that account we studied a couple weeks ago in Genesis 18. It's the most famous account in the Jewish faith and our faith of someone showing hospitality to a stranger that turns out to be a heavenly being. Genesis 18, maybe you were with us a couple weeks ago, maybe you weren't, just a quick review. Genesis 18, uh, Abraham is hanging out underneath a tree at Mamre, all right? His tent is nearby, like that's where he and Sarah live, in this tent. And three guys show up and Abraham knows that something extraordinary is probably happening here, and so he just goes into um, kind of his values and his obedience, and he opens up their tent to them. They make bread, they slaughter a young calf, they supply for these strangers. They show hospitality, and it turns out that at the very least, these three men were heavenly messengers. At the very most, they were God. And just by Abraham and Sarah doing what they knew to do, and that's to show hospitality, they entertained, they extended hospitality to heavenly beings, to angels. But what I love about the Hebrew author is that the Hebrew author doesn't say that that was a one-time thing. Listen to how the sentence is worded. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Like, like this is still going on. This is still true. Like when you extend biblical hospitality, when you show hospitality friendship to strangers, you could still be hosting angels without ever knowing it. Just think about that for a moment. That's mind-blowing. Now, unfortunately for the worship artist and her husband that were in the van with us, they extended hospitality, but they weren't hosting angels. I'm sorry if you know me, no, that's not true. But maybe they've done it somewhere else. And whenever you have opened up your heart and your hands and your home to another disciple of Jesus who you didn't know or didn't know well, you could have and you might have hosted a heavenly being. That's kind of awe-inspiring, isn't it? Like, grandma's fried chicken may have fed an angel. You may have sipped sweet tea with a heavenly being. And I know some of you are thinking, Craig, that's far-fetched. I'm sure that hasn't happened what well, has before, and it, it could have again. But, but what, if, what if you haven't? What, what, what if you haven't had the benefit of having an angel at your table? You still have made an eternal impact. How do we know that? There's a text that parallels so beautifully with Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, and that's Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is 
sharing a small sermon with his disciples. Um, it's often called the Olivet Discourse because it takes place on the Mount of Olives. The whole um, aim of this sermon, which spans chapters 24 and 25 in Matthew, is a look at the end of time. Jesus' life is coming to an end. He's kind of dying with his disciples, dialing in with his disciples, like this is what matters. This is what you need to do. This is what's going to happen as you honor me and follow me. And the very last thing he shares is this picture of what will happen at judgment. And it's the picture of a king who separates sheep from goats. And listen to what he says about the sheep who are considered the righteous ones. Verse 34, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or eating clothes and clothes? Like, when did this happen? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus' immediate context, his aim here is that he's talking about followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, again, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked that aren't followers of Jesus. That's all important. That's, just, that's, 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 that's not what's being covered here. This is about, these are the least of his brothers. These are those followers who were hurting and they were in need. And someone said, I will open my heart. I will open my hands. I will open my home. I will pour the cup. I will show hospitality. And when you did that, you did that for me. That's an eternal impact. That's doing something that will last. And so when you extend hospitality, when you do this radical, ordinary hospitality we've been talking about, that's how Rosaria Butterfield refers to it in her book, The Gospel Comes to the House, a radically ordinary hospitality. When we open up our hearts, our hands, and our home, we make a difference for eternity. Even if you don't have the opportunity to make grandma's fried chicken for an angel, you may very well feed and clothe and help Jesus himself and somebody else. And that makes a difference that will last. Another beautiful passage in scripture, it's in John's third letter, so third John. It gives us the picture of the impact that this type of hospitality can have. Very near the end of your New Testaments, if you get to Revelation, back up through Jude and you'll find third John. John writes to his friend, Gaius, and you may say, well, how do we know he's a friend? Well, it's not because I'm smart. Verse one tells us to my dear friend, Gaius, whom I love. So verse five says, dear friend, again, talking to Gaius, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Do you hear that familial language again? Even though they are strangers to you, you didn't know them before, you didn't know them well, They have told the church about your love. Like they have proclaimed how much he extended love to them. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. And then he tells us why they were there in the first place. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. 
That name is a reference to Jesus. It was for the sake of Jesus that these brothers and sisters who were strangers in Gaius' home had gone out. They had gone out to share with other people who Jesus was, to accomplish God's mission in the world. And they weren't receiving help from anybody else. But because Gaius said, listen, I don't know you, but I know you love Jesus. Come on in. The mission was able to continue. And look at verse eight. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so we may work together for the truth. What do you want to do that will last? What do you want to do that will make a lasting impact? One way you can make a lasting impact on this world, make an eternal impact on this world, is by opening your heart and your hands and your home to strangers to followers of Jesus that you don't yet know or you don't know well. And in so doing, you encourage them, you provide for them, you're making an eternal impact, and you might just be entertaining angels along the way. I wanna be a part of a church that makes an eternal impact, a church that pours the cup for strangers. We've said throughout this series that Oftentimes, you have to start in small ways before you do the big ways, right? So let's talk about the big ways. Like, like, like hospitality that just seems extreme to some, fostering. That's opening up your heart, your hands, and your home. Adoption, opening up your heart, your hands, your home. Like those seem like big things. Like, like having people come live with you and stay with you that you don't know well. That's like, holy cow, how do I do that? Like, do I do a background check? Do I do fingerprinting? Like, like how do I let somebody I don't know into my home? Well, you don't get there typically until you've taken steps along the way. This is one of my favorite times of year for sports. And if you don't like sports, I apologize. You just have to bear with me for a couple of moments. Uh, I like baseball. I've always enjoyed baseball. Um, Now that I'm too old to play baseball or swing a bat fast enough to hit one, I play softball. It's kind of like the old man's version of baseball. And so that's what I do, slow pitch, not the fast pitch stuff. That's for real athletes. And so... um, But I love baseball, I love that sport. This time of year, you have the all-star break coming up this week. Uh, You have the Little League Championship starting uh, later this month. So you get both ends of baseball. You get Major League Baseball and you get Little League Baseball and it's the coolest thing. If you look at those Little League athletes, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, do they hit the ball as far as the Major League athletes? No? Do they throw it as far? No. Do they throw it as hard? No. Do they run as fast? No. Do they make as many spectacular plays? No. Although they make some really spectacular plays, they don't do the same as the major league athletes. But, But what's similar between the two? They both still swing the bats. They both still throw the ball. They both still run the bases. And those skill sets that they learned in T ball and then in minor leagues and major leagues and little league, uh, they just improve upon those and hand-eye coordination gets a little bit better and pitch recognition from the pitcher gets a little bit better and they get a little bit stronger and the bat speed increases and as they build on those things, someday some of those players become Major League Baseball players. They didn't start there, they started somewhere else and if you wanna extend this radical, ordinary hospitality, you've gotta start somewhere. You just gotta start swinging the bat. Maybe you gotta put it up on a tee. Maybe you just have to say, hey, I'm gonna invite someone right here in this room that I don't know well over for dessert. 
or to have a Coke or to just sit on the porch and, and, and visit. Maybe I'm not even comfortable having someone in my living room yet. Maybe I'm just gonna sit on the porch or on the deck with them. But we start by building those relationships and encouraging and helping. And guess what? That graduates more towards, hey, I'm gonna invite somebody over for a meal. And that graduates to, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm gonna meet somebody that I don't know very well. I'm gonna let them ride in a taxi with me. And that graduates maybe one day to letting somebody live with you. Uh, there have been a couple of occasions uh, where Audrey and I have met someone and not known them very well, but they were followers of Jesus and they've lived with us uh, for like several weeks. Was it odd? Was it awkward? Was it uncomfortable? Yes. But we know it was honoring to God. And some of you have done the very same thing, but we didn't start there. We, we started by having people over for pizza and that grows over time. My challenge to you is start somewhere. Let's practice the discipline of hospitality. Yes, because Jesus did it. Yes, because it's so unifying for the body. Yes, because God has always used hospitality to accomplish his mission. But also yes, because God uses it to make an eternal impact for the goodness and the glory of his name. Let's pour the cup together. If you're one of those people who are already practicing, you're super efficient at the discipline of hospitality, let me give you a challenge. Two resources I'd point out to you to maybe take this to another level. Uh, there's a book called Jesus Next Door uh, that was written by a pastor, Dave Clayton, out of Nashville. And it's a 30-day devotional journey to how to love your neighbors well. Maybe that's a step for you. Uh, actually, the church purchased 10 copies of this, and if you want one, uh, you wanna buy it from us to make it easy, just email me this week and we'll connect you with a copy of it, but you can get it on Amazon, you can get it from Him Publications, and maybe that's the next step in your journey. And here's the second resource, you can see it up on the screen, that's called Bless Every Home. You can subscribe for free, and every day, Monday through Friday, an email will come to your inbox that has the names of your neighbors. Uh, they just populate it from... Uh, county um, assessor's records, and they'll tell you who your neighbors are, and you can just pray for them each day, and maybe God opens up a door for you to open up your heart, your hands, and your home, and maybe God uses your hospitality and you pouring the cup to change someone's life for eternity. Let's pour the cup. Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, thank you for giving us these practical, powerful disciplines that we can follow and model after you. And God, thank you for using them to change us, to shape our hearts, to shape our lives, and to change the world. And God, thank you for the blessing that maybe we have even hosted angels and not known it. And thank you for um, the truth that whether we've hosted angels or not, if we've hosted, we've made an eternal impact. May you be honored and glorified and spur us on to more love and good deeds. It's in your name we pray and hope and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen.